want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 14 for our time of study in the Word this morning. Luke chapter 14, we've got three baptisms that will be happening at the conclusion of our uh, service this morning, and maybe this uh, message will be uh, something of a, an intro uh, uh, to that, uh, just thinking about our journey in the Lord. The title of the message is Counting the Cost of the Kingdom Banquet, Counting the Cost of the Kingdom Banquet, and we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 14, uh, essentially verses 16 through uh, 33. Uh, with the time that we have uh, this morning. My wife and I uh, actually started dating our junior year of high school. And one of the first dates that I ever took her on uh, my junior year of high school was to the Red Lobster. And yeah, actually, uh, she sort of took me to the Red Lobster um, I did not have my driver's license yet, uh, but she did, and so she came to my house, and she picked me up and then drove me uh, to the restaurant that evening, and my plan for that evening was to show her a good time at the Red Lobster. Unfortunately, I had never eaten at the Red Lobster before, and so I did not know how expensive uh, it was. I went with $8 in my pocket. Uh, thinking that that would be enough, and I had no credit cards at that age. Um, when we were seated at our table and began looking at the menu, I saw right away that I did not have enough money for even one of us to eat. So I swallowed my pride, and I said, Donna, I've only got $8 with me. Uh, there's no way we're going to be able to eat here tonight. We need to go somewhere else, like to McDonald's or something. <laughs> By that point, after having looked at the menu, Donna's heart was set on eating at the Red Lobster, so she said, it's okay, I'll pay for the meal. And she was able to pay because she had a job at that point, and I didn't. I offered, uh, quite generously, I think, to apply my $8 toward the purchase of our meal, but she said, don't worry about it, I'll just pay. So we ordered our food, and we had a, a very nice meal together. She paid the check and the tip, and then she drove me home and dropped me off at my, <laughs> my parents' house. It was clearly not one of my most manly uh, nights. A helpful tip for you young men. Uh, before you take a girl out on a date to a nice restaurant, count the cost to make sure that you have enough. And a tip for all of us that Jesus is going to provide for us in our passage today is this. If you want to make it to the great banquet in the kingdom of God, count the cost entailed in making it to that banquet. In Luke chapter 14, we, if you were to read the whole chapter, uh, we see Jesus dining at the house of a Pharisee. And long story short, Jesus begins talking to the host. 
and he tells the host that, hey, uh, just an idea for future receptions that you're having, you should invite the kind of people who could never pay you back for inviting them. Jesus basically says to the man in verse 14 of Luke 14, essentially, if you do that, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And then observe what happens next in verse 15. When one of those who were reclining at the table with him heard this, he said to him, in other words, he said to Jesus, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. It was a popular notion among the Jews of this day that when the kingdom of God arrived in its fullness, it would feature a great feast for everyone in God's kingdom to participate in. And there are numerous passages in the Bible that actually affirm that this is true, like the great marriage supper of the Lamb that we see described in Revelation 19. So this man's exclamation is a good one. This is a good thing to say. But the question is, who will eat bread in the great banquet of the kingdom of God. That's the all-important question that needs to be asked. Whoever it is that will be able to dine at this banquet will be blessed, but will you be among them, or will you be excluded from this banquet? If you would like to be one of the guests at the great banquet of God, when the kingdom of God comes in its fullness, then the things that are said by Jesus through the rest of Luke 14 should be of great interest to you. It turns out that many people will not make it to the kingdom banquet in the kingdom of God, and it turns out that there are some costs involved in making it to this banquet that we should calculate up front. And that's what our passage is going to help us with um, as we look at it this morning, as Jesus, this is how we're going to break down our study of the passage. Jesus gives us seven truths, seven truths that help us to count the cost of following him, following Jesus all the way to the great banquet in the kingdom of God. Truth number one, let's say it this way. And if you have your notes with you, you can fill in the blank. Truth number one, the kingdom of God is a banquet that God invites many to attend. The kingdom of God is a banquet that God invites many people to attend. Jesus speaks this truth in the form of a parable. Observe what the text says in verse 16. Verse 16, but he, Jesus, said to him, in other words, he said to the man who had made the exclamation, in verse 15, and here's what Jesus said, a man was giving a big dinner and he invited many. You could paraphrase that last part of what I just read as this, he successfully invited many. In other words, this man sent out invitations in advance and many people RSVP'd and gave every indication that they would like to attend this big dinner when it is ready. 
So eventually the man of this house gets the big dinner prepared and he has everything arranged for the guests who had said that they would come and then observe what happens next in verse 17. And at the dinner hour, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is ready now. Here's Jesus' point. The Jews throughout the centuries longed for the kingdom of God that would come whenever the Messiah arrived. Even the Jews who lived in Jesus' day all would have said that, yeah, we're longing for the kingdom of God to come. And now it's here. And God is sending his servant, Jesus Christ, who's been going around saying to people, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, Jesus has been going around essentially saying, come, for everything is ready now. The big dinner, the kingdom of God is ready now. Yet how are people responding to Christ's invitation now that the dinner is ready? This brings us to the second truth that Jesus gives, which helps us to count the cost of following Jesus all the way to the great kingdom banquet. Truth number two, people are declining God's invitation to the kingdom banquet for lame reasons. People are declining God's invitation to the kingdom banquet for lame reasons. Look at verse 18. But they all alike began to make excuses. So the slave goes out and says, come, everything is ready now. But verse 18, they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I have bought a piece of land and I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. What a lame excuse this is. Who buys a piece of land and then can't go to a banquet because they need to go look at that land after they buy it. If the land is yours now, you can go look at it any time. Like after the banquet is over, there's no rush, right? Look at verse 19. Another one said, I have bought five yoke or five pairs of oxen and I'm going to try them out. Please consider me excused. Normally, you test drive your oxen before you purchase them. But this person says he needs to do that right now after he has acquired them. If the oxen are now his, he can try them out anytime, right? So there's no need to miss this dinner that has been prepared for him. Look at verse 20. Another one said, I have married a wife, and for that reason, I cannot come. I've married a wife, and for that reason, I can't come to a dinner? This is no excuse. In Deuteronomy 24, 5, we read that a man who marries a wife was excused from military service for the first year of his marriage, but that exclusion did not include free banquets. Taking your wife out to dinner like this is precisely the kind of thing you should want to do 
with your wife in the first year of marriage. But this man gives it as an excuse why he cannot come. Jesus gives three examples here of people excusing themselves, but it's not just these three people who are responding this way in this parable. In verse 18, Jesus says, they all alike began to make excuses. And the three examples that Jesus has given are just a sampling of the many excuses that people are giving. It turns out that virtually no one is actually coming actually to this banquet now that it has been made ready for them. And it turns out that everyone's excuse is lame sauce, which all adds up to a horrible insult to this host who has prepared this big dinner for everyone. And Jesus' point, guys, is that this is what's happening with the Jews right now in Jesus' day. The Jews had always said they wanted the kingdom of God to come, but now that it is coming and has been prepared and Jesus is going around inviting people into the kingdom, people are making excuses as to why they can't come. They were too caught up with the cares of this world and too comfortable with the status quo, or they were just not interested in the kind of kingdom that Jesus is inviting them into. And what ought to sober all of us as we look at these excuses is how seemingly innocent these excuses are, right? The excuses that we see in verses 18 through 20, these people aren't saying, hey, I can't come to the dinner because I got to go commit adultery or I got to go rob a bank. No, they're just too busy with good things like their land, their oxen, or their marriage to attend this big dinner that's been provided for them. It turns out that what keeps a person from the kingdom of God may not be sexual sin or stealing, but simply the fact that they're too busy. Too busy with social media, too busy with house projects, or some hobby, or too busy binge-watching their latest favorite series, too busy with such things to accept God's invitation into his kingdom, or too busy with their occupation, or too busy with their pursuit of their education, or some other goal that they're preoccupied with, too busy with all of these things, or any of these things to accept God's invitation to his kingdom. Such people may, and this may be you, may like the notion of God's kingdom, and they may fully intend to get around to God's kingdom eventually, someday, but it always seems that they have something else to do first. And the fact is, guys, that any excuse that anyone gives to decline God's invitation into his kingdom is lame. And not just lame, but offensive to God who invites people into his kingdom. So guess what God does in response to those Jews in Luke 14 who were 
rejecting his invitation to the kingdom banquet. Truth number three, God is extending his banquet invitation to unexpected people. God is extending his banquet invitation to unexpected people. Observe what happens next in this parable that Jesus is telling. Look at verse 21. And the slave came back and reported this to his master. In other words, about how no one's now coming and they all have an excuse. Then the head of the household became angry and said to his slave, Go out at once into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and crippled and blind and lame. In the telling of this part of the parable, Jesus intends for us to understand that the lame and the crippled and the blind are the Jews who were not accepted by the religious society of Israel. They are the religious outcasts, the lowly esteemed, the spiritually broken. These are the tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes among the people of Israel. And so the slave of this master goes out and he finds as many of such broken people as he can find, and he brings them to this big dinner banquet. Then observe in verse 22 what he does when he's finished. The text says, and the slave said, master, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room And the master responds with the final instruction in verse 23. Look at the text. And the master said to the slave, go out into the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. The people along the highways and hedges represent the Gentiles. In other words, the non-Jews. And the master tells his slave to compel them to come in. And this word compel is a strong word, and it's used not because that the people being invited would have been hostile to the thought of coming to the banquet, but because they would not have believed that the invitation was for real. They would have been surprised at such an invitation from a host that they didn't know, a Jewish host that they did not know, And would have needed to be persuaded that the invitation was sincere and not a prank of some sort. The heart of the banquet host inviting these people from the highways and hedges is stated at the end of verse 23 where he says, So that my house may be filled. This host loves people. And he has a generous heart. And he wants his house to be filled with guests who are enjoying his big dinner. But there's another reason he wants his house to be filled and to have every single seat taken up. A reason that actually should send chills down our spine. This master of the banquet knows that at some point, those who are now making excuses are going to change their mind and they're going to want to get into the big dinner. And when such a moment arrives... This master wants his house to be too crowded for these excuse makers to get in at a later point. 
In verse 24, he says, For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my dinner. Here's Jesus' point. When the kingdom of God arrives in all of its glory, only those who accepted the invitation will be allowed in and given a seat at the table. Only those who made it a priority will be able to feast at the great banquet of God in the kingdom of God. In that future day, a self-righteous Pharisee will find that the seat that could have been his has been taken up by some Gentile former prostitute. And he, the Pharisee, will be cast out forever. This actually may apply to some of you in this room. Perhaps you have at times genuinely felt the Spirit of God working in your heart and inviting you into the kingdom of God. I plead with you to accept his generous invitations. Accept them now while you have the chance If you refuse God's invitations, the day may come when it is too late. The day may come when the door to God's kingdom will be closed. And the God who earlier had graciously invited you will now use his omnipotence to forever prevent you from ever coming into his kingdom. That's Part of what Jesus is teaching here. Now is the time to accept his invitation. So as we gather our thoughts at this point in the flow of the text, the question is, will you make it to the dinner? Will you make it to the big dinner? Or will you fall short of the kingdom because there are other things of greater importance to you? Jesus is making it very clear to us with what he has said so far that the kingdom of God belongs to those who lay their excuses aside and esteem his kingdom to be more important than anything else. It's at this point in the passage that we observe Jesus' emphasis shifting in a way that you'll want to make note of. Any follower of Jesus who understands the story that Jesus has just told would suddenly feel really good about the fact that they are following Jesus. They would hear Jesus' words and think, man, we are the smart ones. We've accepted the invitation to God's kingdom feast. We're following Jesus, which means that we're going to make it to the kingdom banquet that Jesus is talking about. And on the surface, it would seem that Jesus is being very successful in getting many people to come to the kingdom banquet with him. In fact, in the very next verse, verse 25, the text says, now large crowds were going along with him. And why wouldn't they? All these people that are now following Jesus were doing so because they knew that he's on his way to the kingdom banquet He's on his way to kingdom glory, and they were ready to enter that glory with him and be among the blessed ones who would dine with him forever in his kingdom. 
but they have little idea of what will be entailed in this journey that Jesus is taking to the kingdom banquet. It will be a dangerous journey. Suffering and crucifixion lie between where Jesus is right now in Luke 14 and the great kingdom feast that lies in the future. Jesus will have to carry his cross and suffer and die to get to the kingdom feast, and anyone following him will have to do the same. And this brings us to the fourth truth that helps us to count the cost of following Jesus all the way to the great kingdom feast. And you're going to want to brace yourselves for this one. Truth number four, to follow Jesus to the kingdom banquet, you must hate everything compared to Jesus. To follow Jesus to the kingdom banquet, you must hate everything compared to Jesus or we can say compared to your love for Jesus. Observe what happens starting in verse 25. Now large crowds were going along with him, and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. The expression, he cannot be my disciple, can literally be translated, he is not able to be my disciple. Jesus' purpose here is not so much to identify people who don't have permission to be his disciple. His purpose is to help his listeners to determine whether or not they're going to find themselves able or capable of being his disciple the full distance to the kingdom glory that he is heading toward. And Jesus starts off by laying down a challenge in the most shocking way possible, telling us that we must hate our father and mother, children, siblings, and even our own lives if we want to succeed in being a disciple of Jesus. Now, is Jesus telling us to detest and loathe our family? Not at all. Jesus calls us in other places to honor our parents and to love our children and to love everyone else. He's the one who teaches us to love others. But he uses the word hate here as a comparative term. He is saying essentially this, if you come to me, and think that you are going to follow me to the kingdom where I am going, then you must love me and you must love my kingdom more than anything else in your life, so much so that your legitimate loves for everyone and everything else looks like hatred by comparison to the greatness of your love for me. That's what Jesus is saying. And by the way, I should say this, the person who loves Jesus so much that their love for others looks like hatred by comparison, such a person actually loves others far more than someone who doesn't love Jesus could ever do. I want the people in my life 
to love Jesus far more than they love me, for they love me best when they love me less than they love Jesus. We all should want to be loved by people who love Jesus far more than they love us because such people make the best lovers of others. But here in this passage, Jesus is saying the kingdom of God belongs only to those who value it above everything else. And if you value anything or anyone over me and my kingdom, trust me when I tell you that the day is going to come when something is going to happen that will expose that idolatry in your life. And when that moment comes, you will start making excuses and choose that other thing over me and over my kingdom. And you will find yourself unable to be my disciple the full distance to kingdom glory. Jesus presses his point further in truth number five. Just when you think he should tone down his language a bit, he ratchets it up. Truth number five, to follow Jesus to the kingdom banquet, you must carry your cross and come after him. To follow Jesus to the kingdom banquet, you must carry your cross and come after him. In verse 27, Jesus says, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. He's saying here, if you don't have a cross on your back, you cannot succeed in the business of being my disciple all the way to kingdom glory. The cross that Jesus is talking about is not a cross that you're going to have to go looking for. It's the cross that the world will put on you, just like they did to Jesus. And if you aren't willing to carry that cross and keep following Jesus, even when the world persecutes you for doing so, then you're not going to find yourself able to succeed in being Christ's disciple. On another front, we can say it this way. When a person is carrying their cross, they are on their way to what? To their death, which means that Jesus' daily agenda for each of us is dying to ourselves and dying to the world. That's his daily agenda for me and for you. Rightly traveled the path from here to the great kingdom banquet entails a hundred thousand moments of dying to yourself and dying to the world and then finding a richer life on the other side of each of those layers of dying, a richer life than you ever dreamed possible before. And by the way, if this lifestyle of dying to yourself Carrying a cross and dying to yourself seems hard. You want to know something that's even harder? It's a lifestyle of always being alive to your own selfish agenda and then trying to get everyone in your life to cooperate with that agenda. Good luck with that. That's the harder way to live than simply dying to yourself and living for Jesus. Those who follow Christ quickly discover that carrying 
a cross on their back is a far lighter burden than carrying on their back their own selfish agenda day by day. Notice Jesus' words in verse 27, to any would-be follower of him, Jesus basically tells that person that he must carry his own cross and come after me. So implied in this language is the promise that Jesus himself is carrying his cross and he will be going to his death. And if we intend to follow him to the kingdom feast, then we must be willing to carry our own cross and follow Jesus to our own crucifixion as well. Evidently, the kingdom feast that Jesus is leading us to comes on the other side of Jesus' crucifixion and on the other side of our own dying also. Jesus is presenting to us the various elements of the cost of following him to the kingdom banquet, and he's wanting us to give serious thought to this journey. And this becomes even clearer as we observe the next truth that he gives us to help us to count the cost of following him all the way to the great kingdom feast. Truth number six, to follow Jesus to the kingdom banquet, you must realize that you lack what is needed. To follow Jesus to the kingdom banquet, you must realize that you lack what is needed. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 28. For which of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? According to Jesus' words here, when a person wants to build a tower, he shouldn't just start building. He should do three things. Number one, sit down. Number two, calculate the cost. And number three, look at his resources to see if he has enough to bring the project all the way to its completion. Jesus continues in verse 29, saying, Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Please pay attention to what Jesus says and is assuming here. If you miss this, you miss the whole point of this analogy. Jesus is assuming that the tower builder does not have enough to finish the project. In fact, the tower builder doesn't even have enough to get past the foundation. So had he actually taken the time to calculate the cost up front, this person would have realized that he didn't have enough to complete the tower and he would have never started the project in the first place for lack of resources. Jesus' analogy here teaches us that we should count the cost of following him to kingdom glory and we should realize up front that we do not have what we need to complete the project. In fact, it's not even close. That's Jesus' point. Think about what kind of response Jesus would want from his listeners here. Imagine someone listening to Jesus 
right now and they say to Jesus, you know what, Jesus, I, I hear what you're saying about counting the cost and I want you to know that I've just now counted the cost. I've decided that, yep, I got it in me. I have what it takes to take up my cross and follow you all the way to kingdom glory. Is that the response that Jesus wanted? Actually, that's kind of how Peter and the other disciples talked on the night that they all abandoned Jesus, isn't it? They counted the cost on that night and they said, yeah, we're going to follow you all the way to death. If we have to die, we're happy to do that. And how did that work out for them? They all failed miserably. And he even told them that they would. So I don't think this is the response that Jesus is after. The response that Jesus is wanting here in Luke 14 is for each of his listeners to say, okay, Jesus, based on what you've just said, I have counted the cost of following you and I'm coming up short. I don't have what it takes, which means I am so out of my league in following you. We see this in Jesus' next parable also. Observe what he says starting in verse 20, 31. He says, Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with how many? 20,000. Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Jesus' use of a war analogy here alerts us to the fact that following Jesus to the kingdom feast will be war. And not just war, but war against an enemy who's on the offensive and war against an enemy who is coming against us. And this enemy is twice as strong as we are. Notice that king number one, who represents us, has only 10,000 men. And king number two, who represents Satan, is coming against us with 20,000. And the analogy that Jesus gives here, the king who is coming against us is Satan. And Jesus has already done the counting for us. Satan has 20,000 men to our 10,000 which means that we, in and of ourselves, are outmatched. We aren't strong enough to go up against Satan, and it's not even close. This means that if you went merely by reckoning only the resources that you have in and of yourself, then you would realize that you don't have what it takes to go against Satan, and you should just now go ahead and wave the white flag of surrender and make peace with Satan and not even bother following Jesus. That's literally Jesus' point. The task of following Jesus to the kingdom banquet is greater than what you in and of yourself have resources for. And the enemy who's going to come up against you is too strong for you to withstand based on your own resources. Wow, how's that for motivation? So where do we go from here? I don't have what it takes to follow Jesus. I look around at all that I am in and of myself and all that I have, and I see that I don't have sufficient resources to follow Christ. 
So what is left for me to do? This leads us to the seventh and the final truth that Jesus gives us to help us count the cost of following Jesus all the way to the great kingdom banquet. Number seven, to follow Jesus to the kingdom banquet, you must give up all of your own resources. To follow Jesus to the kingdom banquet, you must give up all of your own resources. Observe what Jesus says in verse 33. So then, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. The Greek word that is translated possessions here literally speaks of things that you begin with. The Greek word for beginning is embodied in this word. It speaks of things that you begin a journey with. In other words, it speaks of resources that you gather together at the beginning of a journey because you deem them essential for the journey that lies in front of you. So imagine that you are going on a trip and you pack for the trip, putting all the items that you deem essential for your journey in a suitcase. That's what Jesus is referring to. All the stuff that you would put in that suitcase for your journey of following him. And shockingly, Jesus tells us we have to let it all go. We have to surrender all of our own resources that we thought were most needful for the journey of following him. So we think we want to follow Christ to the kingdom banquet. We calculate, you know, what it's all going to take and require of us. And we start packing up everything that we need for this journey of following Jesus to the kingdom banquet. We have our willpower and our determination and our zeal and our resume of religious achievements and our intelligence and our reasoning and our wisdom, even our self-made spirituality that has always served us so well in the past. And we put all of that in the suitcase some of us would even want to pack a sword for the journey of following Christ, just in case we need to fight somebody. Kind of like the disciples will later do in this gospel. When they bring swords to Jesus, saying, we got two swords here to protect you. And Jesus essentially says, enough talk about the swords. We gather up all of our resources and we put them in our suitcase and we show up for the start of the journey of following Jesus with our bags packed. And Jesus looks at us with our luggage and says, lose the luggage. And you know why he tells us to lose the luggage and to give up all of our resources like this? because he doesn't need our resources to get us into his kingdom. And because our own resources would never be enough anyway. And because out of the superabundance of his own heart, he plans to provide for us all the resources that we need. As one writer says, we give up all of our own resources because, listen to this, discipleship and salvation are such great things that nothing of our own could ever avail in securing them. 
we lay aside all of our own resources because it is only when people come to Jesus, absolutely empty of anything in and of themselves, that Jesus can then fill them with his possessions. And then with his possessions, the tower can be built and the battle can be won. That's why you don't need to bring your own luggage to follow Jesus to the kingdom feast because he is your luggage. And in him is everything that you need. So here's the big takeaway from these verses that we've looked at this morning. God has provided a sumptuous kingdom banquet that you should want to get into. The only way to get into that kingdom banquet is to follow Jesus Christ the whole way. And when you count the cost of following Christ all the way to this kingdom banquet, you arrive at a cost that's far greater than you could ever pay in and of yourself. Just like me at the Red Lobster many years ago, I didn't have nearly enough, but I was blessed to be with someone who had what was needed to pay, and she was willing to pay it all. And if you follow Christ, you will be blessed to be with someone who has all that you need and he is happy to provide it all. In fact, if you read the rest of Luke's gospel, you will learn soon enough that Jesus already counted the cost for our entry into the kingdom banquet, and that cost, you know what it is? It's the lifeblood of Jesus himself. The payment required is Jesus laying down his life and death for us, and he was willing to pay that. And everything he tells us to do in this passage in order to be his disciples, he himself did in order to be our savior and to give us atonement for all of our sins. He loved his father so much that he was willing to let go of all of his attachments and lose everything at the cross, including his own life. He carried his cross and then died on that cross in order to purchase our way into the kingdom banquet. He took on Satan and prevailed. And he himself is the tower through which we can get to God. If you misunderstand what Jesus has been saying in this passage, and there are people who do misunderstand this passage, you might think, man, this is all so demanding. Who would ever want to follow Jesus after hearing him talk like he does in this passage? You might think that only the super religious and super dedicated would want anything to do with Jesus anymore, but actually just the opposite is what happens. Look at the very first verse of Luke 15. Now all the tax gatherers and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him, and both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Wow. After talking like he has just talked, sinners were flocking to Jesus, and the religious elite were left on the outside grumbling. 
You know why the sinners were flocking to Jesus? Because what Jesus has been saying in our passage today is really good news for people who know that they have nothing to bring to Jesus. What he has said in this passage is awesome news for people who count the cost of following Christ and realize that they got nothing. Such people happily surrender their broken lives to him and come to him with empty hands. And to such people, Jesus becomes everything. And they love him for that. This is the testimony of these tax collectors and sinners who are now flocking to Jesus in Luke 15. And this is the testimony of all those who have truly believed in Jesus. And this is the testimony of the three individuals who will be baptized today, whom you will be hearing from in just a moment. And this can be your testimony too. If you're here this morning and you have not yet become a follower of Jesus, I urge you to come to Jesus today. Admit your bankruptcy to him. Admit that you don't have anything and that you want Jesus to be your everything. And call upon his name for salvation. And join the rest of us in this room in looking to Jesus as your all in all. In fact, I would invite you to join us in praying this prayer. And let me just ask you to bow your heads. And if you're able to pray this together with me, then join with me in praying this prayer. Lord, I want to follow you all the way to the kingdom banquet not because I think I have what it takes to do so. I want to follow you because I got nothing, but I find all that I need in you. I've counted the cost like you've told me to, and I don't have what it takes to follow you, which is exactly why I don't ever want to stop following you. You have the resources I need to build the tower. You have the might that I need to overcome the enemy. You took on Satan in a way that I never could. And you provided atonement for my sins in a way that I could have never provided for myself. And you alone are the one who can render me fit for your kingdom. And it is for these reasons that I believe in you and never want to leave your side. We say these things to you, Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen.